This uh, is a season on the Christian calendar that we call Lent, the Lenten season, uh, which uh, traditionally is the 40 days uh, that precede Easter. And throughout uh, the history of the church, Christians have used those 40 days to kind of prepare for Easter, to go through uh, the passion that is Easter, uh, the, the, the death of Christ on the cross, and of course the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday. Uh, we at, at Blue Water Mission are rather an informal, uh, organic church. Uh, we are not known for being super liturgical and traditional. Everybody gasp. Yeah, I know, I know, but, but, but not. Um, but I, I do love uh, some of the old traditions. Uh, we love Lent. We have not really observed it with great stringency uh, this year, in part because I've been gone so much. Um, but for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is try to be Lenten. We're going to focus on uh, the passion of Christ's crucifixion. We're going to uh, talk about uh, the event of the cross uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, and of course that will culminate in our Good Friday service, uh, which we traditionally hold on the beach. Uh, we'll be doing that at Magic Island Beach, right? On, on Good Friday uh, evening, and then Easter Sunday, of course, celebration that you've heard about. Uh, we are going to have uh, the rainbow potluck. I'm not sure if you followed, but we assign you not foods, but colors of food. So if you get green, you'll have to bring a green food. If you get purple, you have to bring a purple food. That, that's how it works. Uh, and then it's just kind of glorious. Uh, the spirit moves. It's great. Um, I think liturgical seasons like Lent uh, are especially good uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, because when we do traditional things, you get the sense that the worldwide church is moving in one accord. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of churches around the world are observing Lent and meditating on the story of Christ's crucifixion. Uh, and it's just nice to feel like you're part of that, you know? Uh, and it gives God the opportunity to speak something into the worldwide church. You know, if we're all meditating on the crucifixion of Christ during this Lenten season, uh, and uh, you know, we all are inclined toward the message of the cross, then I think we are collectively giving the Lord an opportunity to speak something to all of us. And that's how worldwide movements start. You know, the Lord speaks the same thing to believers all over the world. And I, I just love the potential uh, surrounding that. Um, it's, good to, it's good to think that we're all thinking uh, on the same stuff. Uh, but mostly I appreciate liturgical seasons like Lent and the one that surrounds Christmas because it gets us back to the foundations of our story. And I think if you've been hanging around uh, the kingdom of God for any length of time, you would agree that the cross is one of those foundational things in the story of God, Jesus, and humankind. The cross is a very provocative thing. Uh, why? why? Why is the cross so important? Why is the cross such a big deal? Depending on your experience with the Lord, that might seem like a redundant question or one that's just really important. Uh, believers know that his death on the cross was a goal of Jesus, that the crucifixion of Christ somehow achieved something in the world. Uh, and uh, I think most people understand that it achieved something awesome associated with forgiveness, something associated with forgiveness and access to God seems to be the indications in the story. Um, the Apostle Paul 
uh, took it so far as to say, I resolved to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. The whole story of Christ involves His death on the cross. There's something about that event that is hugely important to the mission of Christ uh, in the world. The cross uh, is also something that is just ridiculously distinctive. Uh, the event of the cross really separates uh, this faith that we call Christianity from all other belief systems on earth. There is nothing like the cross anywhere else because Christianity is the only faith system that has as its central event the death and humiliation of its God. That's just weird. That's just weird. And it makes you go, hmm, this is different. And so it's important to understand uh, on, on those grounds. And of course the cross is controversial. I think it's kind of emotionally controversial for many people, particularly in this day and age. Um, when uh, we preach the gospel, uh, the good news uh, to the world, uh, it is typical for us to preach something about the cross, to give some explanation of the cross to people uh, who do not yet believe. Uh, and we often say something like, Christ died on the cross. Accept that. You have to accept that in order to get in or to be a follower of Jesus. But that sometimes makes people respond, I didn't ask him to die for me. That, that makes me feel a little guilty, a little shameful, a little put upon. It, it's emotionally challenging to say something like, this man died for you. That's, that provokes, does it not? That's a very startling, extreme thing to say. Uh, and so the cross can make people feel very interested, or it can make people feel very condemned. It's, it's just a big deal. It's just a big deal. And it's worth taking some time to think about, no matter where you are with respect uh, to God. It's important to understand the cross well. Now, there are many ways to go about understanding the event of the cross well. But during Lent, again, it's traditional to do it by examining what Jesus said while he was on the cross. One thing that the church traditionally does is that it meditates on the things that Jesus said while he was hanging there. And depending on you, how you count them, there are six or seven sentences, phrases that he uttered. And they're all just packed with meaning. And so we're going to kind of do that over the next uh, few weeks. I think it makes sense uh, if you're examining the cross, to take a look at what Jesus said during the cross, because presumably uh, he understood it rather well. And any explanation that he gave during the midst of it would be especially valuable. Uh, he is the guy most suitable to define what was going on that day. Was he not? Yes. I'm getting nods of assent. I was looking for exclamations of amen. amen. Yeah, maybe by the end. Um, one introduction uh, as we jumped in uh, to today's uh, sayings of the cross, words of the cross, uh, I just want to set up our examination of, of the cross by asking simply, why was Jesus put there? Why, why was Jesus on the cross that day? If you were there that day looking at him hanging on the cross, why, why was he up there? Why was he killed? Now, it's typical for theologians to ask, why did he die? But I'm asking, as a police detective might ask, why was he killed? 
Why did people kill Jesus? What was their motive? Jealousy, because he did so many cool miracles and he was popular. Uh, Other religious leaders got jealous and killed him. Political power, he was getting very powerful, so, you know, they, they bumped him off. It was a political assassination. Why didn't the religious leaders accept Jesus when he showed up, though? I mean, what, what, what was it about him that bothered them so much? He was different. How? He didn't come from a religious family. What was this? He was illegitimate. He had a dubious background. He opposed their culture. One might say customs or traditions. I think if you've read through the Gospels, I think you guys are are hitting on it. Um, Jesus had, you know, by the way I count, about 62 arguments with people across the four Gospels. And, no, 60. But 60 of them were with um, religious leaders. Religious people found Jesus offensive. And why was he offensive? Um, Because uh, he did not seem to take sin seriously enough is one way to put it. They thought Jesus was a licentious playboy. When the Pharisees protested uh, his social life, they said, he eats with sinners. He hangs out with sinners. It wasn't just that he was hanging out with sinners. It was how he went about it. He hangs out with sinners and doesn't make a big deal of their sin. And that got them all riled up. And then they criticized his behavior and the behavior of his disciples. Your disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. You heal on the Sabbath. You are not lawful enough. I mean, the issue that religious people had with Jesus was that he seemed like an offense to God. Jesus did not take sin and law seriously enough for the religious people of his day. And therefore, they could not allow him to be popular and influential. Jesus was an offense. Uh, to them, and and that's why he was killed. Okay, so that's our setup, I think. Does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of a fair description of the story, uh, for those of you who know it. Now, let's take a look at today's text. I've selected a couple sayings of the cross uh, from Luke 23, uh, which is an excellent account of uh, his death on the cross. Uh, You have them, uh, two sayings. One, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And uh, then an interaction he had with a criminal where Jesus said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, What I want to do is I want to read the verses around those sayings as well. So I'm just going to read verse 34 through verse 43. You get an excerpt from that on your your bulletin. I'll read a slightly more complete passage um, beginning at 34. So Jesus has been beaten. He has been stripped naked. He has been nailed to a cross. He has been raised on the cross, and he's not being treated very well. People are yelling at him, mocking him. He is uh, completely deprived and being actively humiliated by the crowd. And in the midst of that, picking it up in verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then they divided up his clothes by casting lots, by rolling dice. And the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. 
And then the soldiers who came up, they mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Um, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Even that was meant to mock him. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. I mean, what a bad day. <clears throat> Everybody is down on him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he says, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Dude, you're in. Reading Jesus' sayings on the cross or reading these sayings, what would you say the cross is about? Two sayings here. One, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the other one, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're in. What would you say the cross is about? Uh, without getting too technical, I think uh, if Jesus' words are indication, what's going on there is about forgiveness. It seems to be about forgiveness and access, if you wanted to be complete about it. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And hey, come on in. You're with me. Uh, you get to be in, in paradise. It seems like the work of the cross at that moment was forgiveness and access to God. And those of us who have been believers for a while, sort of, you know, we sort of appreciate that intuitively. Yeah, we knew that the cross had something to do with forgiveness, that the cross has something to do with access to God. Um, but what might surprise us, even those of us who have been believers for a while, is the quality of the forgiveness and access that seems to be demonstrated in this moment on the cross. I mean, there are two ways of thinking about forgiveness. Um, and God. Uh, the first way is, hey, do the right thing and God will forgive you. Or believe the right thing and God will forgive you, which is a version. And then the second way is, God forgives you. Deal with it. Which version do you see in Jesus' behavior on the cross? Number one or number two? It's clearly number two which I think should totally influence the way that we preach the cross. Jesus did something on the cross, understand it, believe it, and then God will forgive you. The, the generosity of the forgiveness that Jesus manifests on the cross exceeds that. Um, first of all, you know, he, he, he starts it out by saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Now, he has had a bad 24 hours. He has been arrested illegally. He has been tried illegally. He has been beaten uh, illegally. Uh, he has been nailed to uh, a wooden beam and hung on a cross, and everybody, uh, his friends have abandoned him, and everybody is hurling abuse at him, the Jews, the Romans, uh, the criminals dying next to him. And in the midst of that, nonsense. He says, ah, oh, Father, forgive them all because they're, they're, they're just not in their minds right now. They don't know what they're doing. That's nuts, right? That's nuts. They know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They have gone out of their way to make it worse than it needed to be. Jesus' estimation of their motives and behavior is outlandishly naive, is it not? 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And just to drive it home, Luke's account says, right after he said that, then they, they cast lots for his clothes right there at the foot of the cross. They have stripped him naked, humiliating. And then as he says, oh, forgive them, they're, they mean well, but, but you know, they, they, don't, they don't know what they're up to today. And then at that moment, they roll dice for his clothes right in front of him. How sensitive is that? This is crazy for Jesus to say, oh, I'll just let you off. You're ignorant of, of your sin. No, they're rejoicing in their brutality. That's just nuts. And if that's the quality of forgiveness, that's the generosity. If that's the aggressiveness of the forgiveness of Christ on the cross, then what must the cross mean? It's just a ridiculous statement. I, I think, I think this, this is the revolution. Uh, this is the message of the cross. These guys are actively rejecting Christ. Sure, they might not understand that he's the incarnate son of God and stuff like that, and you might you know, need to let, you know, be, be a little patient with them on that technicality, but if anyone has actively rejected Christ, it's these fellows. And Jesus forgives them. He says, Father, forgive them. Uh, theological question, do you think the Father does? When Jesus intercedes for them as he's dying, do you think the Father is inclined to accept that request? What do you think? How much do you believe in generosity and forgiveness of the Lord? I think yes. I think if anybody gets his prayer answered, it's the dying Christ on the cross. I'm going to go way out on a limb and say that this is probably a success. I think they get forgiven. Anybody bothered by that? And then, you know, consider this little episode uh, with the criminal. Um, this is my favorite salvation story in all of Scripture um, because it's just so blastedly easy for the guy, right? He's, he's, he's hanging there. He, he's probably a murderer because they're the ones that usually got crucified um, by the Romans. And he sees what's going on. He sees how much worse Jesus is being treated than him and his buddy are being treated. And then he hears Jesus say this ridiculously generous thing. And he takes that opportunity to berate his criminal friend who's hanging there and said, no, you stop it. He doesn't need to be insulted anymore. Um, you know, obviously he's a good man. Look at how he's behaving. Obviously he's a generous man. And I've heard he's a man of God. And so this criminal hanging there says, hey, remember me. You know, I, I know I messed up. But you seem pretty squared away. Remember me. Uh, when you come into your kingdom, when you come into your your control, your order. There is no indication that this criminal has any theologically understanding of who Christ is. Because pretty much nobody in the world had any theological understanding of who Christ was at that moment. Least of all a murderer who had not been hanging around Jesus and just happened to be killed the same day that he was. But he understands that this fellow next to him is a generous guy and is labeled king of the Jews. So maybe just out of an effort to be nice. He says, well, dude, if you're the king of the Jews, look, I think you're a good guy. Just remember me when you get your kingdom. I don't, I don't even know how serious his understanding was. But Jesus' response is, you're in. That's enough for me. There is no, there is no sinner's prayer. There is no demonstration of theological understanding. There is no repentance. 
There is no, hey, I'm sorry for my sins. And dude, he's dying on the cross. I mean, you'd say anything desperate in the moment of your death, right? Is he serious about what he's saying? Jesus may not even know, but he takes any excuse to forgive someone, particularly at the moment of his death. You're in. You're in. The guy gets into eternity. How many of you would agree with me that that's too easy? He's lived a wretched life, and then, you know, right before he dies, he said, Jesus, you're nice. (laughs) Yes, the angels rejoice, you're in. You know, what does that tell you about the generosity of the forgiveness of God? It's, yeah, it's amazing. it, It does not come hard. It comes very easily. Forgiveness is never the issue. It's it's dang near automatic if Jesus' own explanation on the cross are any indication. I think it has to do with this thing called grace. How many have heard of that thing, grace? It's really not a word we hear a lot about until we get into the epistles. And the guy that talks about it most is this fellow Paul who was just meditating on what had happened with Christ and trying to explain it to the world. Grace, which I would define as the radical generosity of God. Mercy is when God releases you from the consequences of junk that you've done. Grace, it often seems, is when God chooses to not even see the junk that you've done. It's like it's it's not even there. Uh, Like with the woman caught in adultery, which is maybe my favorite story of grace. Some, again, very religious people, catch this woman in the act of adultery, and they drag the woman, not the man, of course, but they drag the woman before Jesus and say, in the Mosaic law, it says that a woman who commits adultery should be killed, should be stoned to death. What say you, Jesus? And again, the problem is that they think Jesus is too easy on sin. They drag the woman before him and say, now, look, we caught her red-handed. There is no question that she is a sinner. She must be killed. Jesus, what do you say? We're going to get you this time. We're going to force you to admit that you're a licentious playboy. And what does Jesus do? What does he do? You know the story? Uh, What... What he does most immediately is that he doodles on the ground, um, right? Which uh, you know, commentators say, well, he wrote a very important message and we, could, we should think about what he wrote down there. No, what he was doing is that he just refused to look at the woman, I think. He refused to see her when she was feeling ashamed. You ever felt ashamed of something? Jesus would rather like, oh, look the other way than call you out on it. Even something as serious as, as uh, you know, adultery. I just, I'm not going to look at you until you're ready to handle it. And then when all of her accusers leave, he says, those of you who don't have any sin, cast the first stone. They all get intimidated and leave. When it's safe, when it's just the woman and him, then he, he says, have you no accusers? Then I don't accuse you either. Now, stop sinning because they want to kill you. <laughs> you know, that's how he talks about sin. Grace, he refuses to see. He refuses to see what you've done wrong. That's stupid, right? That's naive. That's being too permissive as parents go. But we see that same behavior on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wait, are, are you not watching? 
Are you not listening, Jesus? You're, you're in. You're my kind of guy, criminal. You, you think I'm nice? Come spend eternity with me. It's, it's so easy, is it not? Is it not? It's just a little too easy? Uh, I think it is. The cross is not about sin. The cross is about grace. Now, you could pick that, that statement apart because, you know, if there had been no sin, uh, if we hadn't mucked up life and the world, then there would have been no need for the cross. You know, the whole story uh, would have been different. But what I mean is Jesus doesn't die on the cross to show you how serious God is about your sin. He dies on the cross to show you how serious God is about you. I, I just think that's obvious. You know, be a mistake to preach the cross as a, um, as a sin highlighter. <laughs> it's really a, a grace highlighter. God would go to any lengths, including torture and death, to make sure that your sin is not a big issue between you and him. I think that's a good way to sum up Jesus' death on the cross. Um, I like to uh, often, you guys have probably heard this, make a distinction between what I call the fussy God gospel and the Jesus gospel. Here's the fussy God gospel. God is a holy God, and we humans have fallen into dirty sin. God in his holiness cannot approach us in our unholiness. So Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, and in some way some kind of washing thing happens there and makes us clean enough for God to approach us. And the emphasis there is on God's attitude toward us. Once we're clean, he can stand to be with us. You know, have you heard something like that before? I call it the fussy God gospel. It emphasizes the holiness of God, you know, relative to our dirtiness. And it kind of sounds right. You know, it kind of sounds right to say, yes, God is a holy God. I'm sure, uh, you know, that God doesn't like to have unholiness around, you know. But... But it's, it's false. It's a false way to describe it. How do we know? Well, Jesus' life shows it. You know, God isn't afraid to get dirty. Are you kidding me? God became a dirty human. God put on flesh. The scripture says he became sin. He showed up in the world and he made a point to go to the dirtiest places, to hang out with the dirtiest people, to hug the lepers, to let prostitutes, um, you know, wash him and fondle his feet and stuff like that. He, he made a point to show that God is not fussy. God approaches you in your sin. He approaches you in your worst, most embarrassing moments. That's what Jesus' life shows. And then Jesus' death shows that um, he'd do anything, anything um, to make sure that sin is not a, a big issue, which you know doesn't mean that that we should be lax about sin in our lives because sin will destroy you like a cancer and sin will prevent you from following Jesus, which is the calling, from living a life and loving a love like Jesus did. Uh, but that's a different matter. Some teach that only Jesus was a perfect enough sacrifice to allow God to forgive your sins. That in order, because you were sinners, uh, you know, God needed a perfect sacrifice. He needed perfect blood shed. 
Uh, you just have to be careful how you talk about that because certainly the imagery of a sacrifice and the heritage of the sacrificial system that the Jews had that totally understand, totally informs the way that Jesus died on the cross and, and, and the way that we can understand the cross. But, but the issue is not that God needs a perfect sacrifice in order to allow you to be forgiven. God is not bloodthirsty. God is not angry like that. God does not require a perfect sacrifice for perfect forgiveness. And actually, if you read the sacrificial customs, it shows this, you know. What did you have to offer as, a, as an atonement sacrifice in the Old Testament sacrificial system? Well, it turns out that you got to offer whatever you could. You know, priests offered a certain thing. Rich people offered a certain thing. If you couldn't afford to offer that thing, the Lord will let you offer two pigeons, you know. Uh, and if you couldn't afford to buy two pigeons for your offering, God would allow you to offer a handful of cereal. Uh, what the sacrificial system teaches us is that God would, it's not the sacrifice that counts, it's the understanding that you need help. You know, the understanding that sin is sin. That's really what that was about. Uh, the most obvious sacrifice or ritual of atonement in ancient Israel was the scapegoat. Uh, do you guys know this? Uh, the priests on, on, a, on an atonement, in an atonement festival would lay hands on a goat and actually release that goat out into the wilderness to carry away the sins. Uh, there was no bloodshed. It, we, we oversimplify is all I'm saying. More could be said about that, but, you know, it, it really, the cross really wasn't about satisfying some strange legal requirement that God has. The cross was about showing that God would do whatever he needed to do to make his love and acceptance of you clear. Get rid of sin in your life, because it's awful. But don't do it because you think you have to to get God to love you and accept you. That's different. That's different. And I think that's the dividing line of the cross. As Paul says in Romans 5 about the law and the, the legal system and, you know, that great sacrificial system of the Old Testament, he says, the law was brought in so that sin might increase. What does that mean? I think what he's saying is that the reason God taught us about the law and about forgiveness and atonement and stuff like that was to make us aware of what sin was because sin is unhealthy and destructive. Um, but where sin increased... Grace increased all the more. As soon as we understand how sinful we are, we should also immediately understand God has made it okay. We can get through it. He forgives us. He's crazy generous with us. So that just as sin reigned in death, so as our misbehavior destroyed us, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is what gets us into eternity. Grace. Um, I, don't know, I love to think about that stuff. It's so vital to understand God's generosity correctly. So let's just kind of leave it today with this question. Just how generous is God? Just how generous is God? 
And it's one thing to think about that. I think uh, maybe a more provocative question is, just how generous is God? And according to your answer, just how generous is your life? You know, how are you manifesting the generosity, the radical grace and forgiveness of God in, in your life? Um, there's a... Sometimes I think it... Well, there, there are two steps, aren't they? There, there's what you believe, and then your, there's your capacity to live what you believe, right? Um, you know you ought to love people, but what is your capacity for loving people? And you don't become a great lover of people just by deciding that love is important. Uh, you don't learn to move in the radical grace of God just because you understand cerebrally that God is generous. How do you get better at living in grace, at being free from condemnation, of living a life like Jesus? Well, you, well, you have to work at it, is the answer. You have to develop it. Uh, somebody had a, one of our prayer uh, um, intercessors before this service had, had a word about uh, people doing chin-ups and it's like trying to get up, but not quite able to get your chin over it. And then uh, that was a call to pray about, you know, working out until you can. You will get stronger. You will get stronger. And it made me ask myself, well, what do you do to get stronger in forgiveness in receiving the grace of God? And, and Jesus, I think, taught us the answer. Um, it's in the Lord's Prayer, among other places. Um, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned uh, against us. I think one way to celebrate God's radical generosity on the cross uh, is to, in this season, uh, do a little inventory and make sure that you've forgiven everybody that you need to forgive, that you're not holding anything against anyone. In fact, maybe you're naive enough to let people take advantage of you a little bit. Maybe you're gracious enough to not even see how people are mistreating you. That would be a great Lenten meditation. What do you think? Anybody mistreated you recently? Got anybody in your life that mistreats you perpetually? <laughs> anybody sitting around you who really doesn't deserve kind treatment? Why are you all looking at me? Um, one of the ways when we get forgiveness to flow in the kingdom of God is by letting it flow through us. Um, so, uh, among other ways that we might close today's sermon, I just want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to us and uh, to point out to us ways in which we are not as ridiculously generous as Jesus is. Ridiculously generous. So let's pray. Well, here is our Lenten sacrifice today. Father, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, forgive us our mistakes, Lord, as we forgive all of those who have mistreated us, who are misbehaving, who are walking improperly in the world. In the name of Jesus, we forgive them. We let them go. Indeed, we love them and refuse to see them as shameful people. We accept them. I think the message of the cross is, God forgives you. Accept it. Do you or don't you? 
we show our acceptance by accepting others. Speak, Holy Spirit, and bring to mind the situations you need to. Jesus encourages us to pick up our cross and follow him daily. Um, I mean, I think this is part of it. Uh, living a life of, of sacrificial generosity uh, toward everyone and anyone, especially those who don't deserve it. Um, you can tell uh, people who don't understand grace, they're people who find it almost impossible to talk about um, uh, morality without sounding uh, judgmental. If you don't understand grace, then any talk about what's right or wrong will invariably feel like judgment. Um, and uh, I would just like to highlight that because maybe some of you uh, in seeking after God or hanging around the church have felt like it's all about judgment. Um, it's all about um, a harsh morality. Um, of course, it's not that at all. It's about the sort of forgiveness that Jesus manifests on the cross. So I just like to give an invitation today. And the invitation uh, is, I will phrase it as I think Jesus more or less framed it on the day of his death. God forgives you. Deal with that. Will you accept that or not? You don't have to do anything to be forgiven. In fact, you may have recently done a lot of stuff that should not be forgiven by any sensible line of thinking. Uh, but you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Jesus said to his disciples, whomever you forgive on earth is forgiven uh, in heaven. Whomever you release on earth is released in heaven. Uh, he gave that ministry to us, so let me employ it today. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, you're released. In the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. That's a ministry that we can do to one another. You're forgiven. Your sin is not a barrier between you and the Lord. Get rid of it because it will destroy you, but please understand that it doesn't keep God from you. Now, would you like to accept that today for the first time? Would you like to just be reconciled to God? It's not his hang up, it's yours. Would you like to get over it and be reconciled to him? and just accept the freedom that he gives. He'll deal with you on the sin in your life later. Anybody want to accept that uh, for the first time? And so I will give you 15 seconds to stand up in the spirit of the criminal on the cross. This would be a good time to say, um, can I come in? And Jesus will say, you're in. Welcome aboard. Bless you. You're in. So, Father, uh, remember uh, these souls and delight yourself in their glory. Uh, make them uh, the children and the followers that they should be. We commit them to your care in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen.